This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Today's episode is brought to you by Kettle and Fire. Kettle and Fire makes Kato soups, classic soups, and bone broth. It's uh, If you're into a healthy lifestyle, healthier complexion, immunity system, a healthy gut, Kettle and Fire is for you. If you'd like to order from Kettle and Fire, use the promo code WAYPOINT. Get 15% off on any classic soups, Kato soups, and their famous bone broth. Remember to use the promo code WAYPOINT to get 15% off on all products at Kettle and Fire. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. I have a good friend in the studio today, my good buddy Anthony Hunt. Anthony's been a bass fisherman and has been relative in the tournament circuit for well over 20 years. He also started his cooking career in 1998 and he's worked himself up to what they call a celebrity chef. He's been featured on the Food Network with the hit show Chopped. He's a father of four with three boys and one girl and anthony told me off screen that that was his biggest uh that was his biggest accomplishment i mean of all the things that he's done he's taken more pride and energy in that which i think is uh very reputable anthony thanks for coming to the lunker dog studios and thanks for being on the show no problem thank you for having me man it's been a while we should have done this 20 years ago dude i've been wanting to have you on the show um Especially when is the last time we went fishing? About two months ago. Two months ago, yeah. Yeah, we we were we were talking on the boat, and um, fishing wasn't exactly what you would call uh, stellar that day. So we got a lot of time to actually communicate, talk, right, and uh, become better friends. And ever since that day, I've been thinking, man, I got to get Anthony on the show. I got to get Anthony on the show. We went through this like crazy COVID thing, which right. gave us some some time, but um, things just haven't been um, exactly what I would call normal. No, no. It won't be for quite some time, so we all have to kind of brace ourselves for that. So, dude, I didn't realize that um, that you've been in that bass circuit for, for 20 years. Yeah, it, it feels like it was just yesterday I was taking my spinning rod on Okotobi, trying to punch through uh, big, big, giant mats and stuff, you know, um, 
just it felt like yesterday I just was doing like I said stupid stuff as an angler and didn't know better but you know, fast forward 20 years in and a couple force world cup champion appearances and some magazine covers and some even some angler modeling which I've been done uh, for Dick Sporting Goods and all those places it all seemed like a blur to me <laughs> well 20 years is a, 20 years is a long time but it's weird when you look back how fast yeah because yeah. you're having fun like fishing is, is the funnest thing to do in the world <laughs> I don't care where you do it at and what kind of fishing it is it, it's just one of the funniest funnest thing to do in the world in my opinion now did you um did um did you do much fishing before you got involved in the bass tournaments like like me my dad showed me you know at a really young age and I kind of grew up in the fishing world did you have that or did you start late or how did it work for you well, you fast forward to a guy who's about seven to five years old, and um, your aunt take you, um, take you, takes you fishing, and it was all the purpose was to feed my grandmother for fish. She loved eating bluegill and whatever kind of species we catch. So, right. long story short, she would dig the worms, and we would go get our little fish, you know, get our, get our rods. And we didn't start off with rods; we started off with like a yellow rig, a line, night crawler, and a big. 200 yard spool of Andy or whatever we could find at the time and then we evolved into fishing like rods and cane poling so that's how we started so was it with an aunt it was with an aunt yeah aunt she took <laughs> us and she was a fishing woman of the family man and we just got got, got sprung from there like we would cry literally leaving the lake every day because you guys were so into it so into it we didn't do one there was no video games for us it's funny you never know who's going to introduce you to something that you're going to absolutely love but um exactly yeah, but it's cool that you had that aunt, and she exposed you to it, and you guys enjoyed that kind of time. Yeah. So you did that, and you went, and you would take the the, the fish, and you'd feed the grandma. Grandma would take as soon as they come down the dirt road. She'd just be waiting with a pail and her old knife, man, and just got everything up and just eat fish for days. And, and then when she's done, she'd be like, "All right, got more worms for you." And we'd go get the worms, and but we we fished so much the supply of worms wasn't uh, never enough, so we started fishing artificials and. One day I looked up on TV, I see Larry Nixon fishing, and he's got this giant bass on. He's like, oh, my gosh, it's a giant. And I said, the seven, I said, damn, that's what I want to do. You know, I just said, you know, forget everything else. That's when it hit you. That's when it started. So, and me and Larry, good, me and Larry Nixon are good friends now. You, I don't talk about who I know, but he's a, he's been a very instrumental guy in my fishing career. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, on the podcast, you know, this is the time for you to talk um, about the guys that you know. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, people, you know. They, they, they really want to know about real guys. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, and everybody's story everybody's uh, story is a lot different, so please don't hold back today. Okay. The, um, so the bass fishing um, for 20 years. Now, how are you able to do that? Did you have to, like, pace yourself? Because you got, you know, the four kids and a cooking career, and you've had success, obviously, in your family and in your cooking career. Mm-hmm. It must have been a hell of a juggling act to actually stay relative for 20 years in the bass circuit. Yeah, I mean, just like any other angler, you have to have um, a, your, your good circle of people understanding the mission and backing you because I couldn't have done it by myself. Right. Um, wouldn't have done it by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just have to um, have a lot of long days and short nights, and um, you burn up both ends. And I never felt like it was... Uh, too much. I've, I knew every step was necessary, and you'd have to sacrifice in between. Your kids sacrifice a little bit. I never really missed birthdays. I mean, I've been kind of lucky in that respect. Um, but you know, those times have and will come. But um, it's just a, it's a juggling act. You just have to kind of prioritize and just uh, just just keep your eyes closed, man. And just go keep the goals in mind. All right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, performing at a high level. I mean, if you're going to live in uh, South Florida. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good idea to perform at a really high level, and I think that um, that's pretty much what you're telling people. Yeah, no, I, I definitely had some success. Um, 
made some good appearances in the world of fishing, man. And uh, it just, I, I think I, my work, my, my fishing work ethic is just stronger than most people. Yeah. I don't, I don't see like short, I don't see myself getting tired. I just, I just see practice, practice, practice. I'll fish from the bank no matter where I'm at, just practices everything to me. So you, you start factoring a guy who just goes hard and practice and practice, you can develop this callous of mind that, um, even when you're practicing, you're still practicing, no matter if you're fishing a tournament or not. Right. And that's how I do so well. Um, at one point, I was ranked one of the number one co-anglers in the world um, and also had a 75% check cash rate, which is hard to do. Okay. That's like, you know, Archer just hitting bulls out of time, close to that. But it was just I was just consistent. I wasn't afraid to be a versatile. And um, I was a non-boater for quite some time, so I was always fishing behind some guys who, A, would try to block you, right. or B, you would have to just really kind of um, outfish them. What do you mean? What do you mean they try to block you? Because, well, you know, a lot of us aren't that familiar okay. with the tournament yeah, yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah, So, So, because, you know, there's a strategy to getting ahead in any system. Right. So what do you mean by they try to block well, you? Well, in the fishing industry, we call it front boating or, yeah, call it front boating. Okay. Um, back boat your front boat, depending on where you're on the boat, I guess. Um, so, yeah, if you got a guy who's saying he's going on a, uh, a, a bank and he knows every weed line, every little every little weed that's off the bank holds a big fish, he'll take and put this in the boat where you can't cast to the fish, okay. and he'll go pluck everything off and catch his, catch his limit and keep it pushing. So um, I've, I called him to a couple guys, or if he's going on the bank, he gets his boat really tight to the bank so you can't cast to the front of the fish because there's an imaginary line you can't cast in front of the boat. So that happened a lot, man, and you just got to know how to – maneuver through that because that's one thing as a car that's your biggest frustration having this guy just block you <laughs> so me i'm like all right i'm pretty strong i'll make a long cast 800 yards away from your boat and hit that weed i know you're gonna get but you can't fish everything in front of you so i that's how i started excelling as a coingler looking for any little mistake guys made and um being front boated was is a big thing even to this day like people get protested for that like to be to the, the tournament officials. Really? Yeah, it, it's deep. It, it, it's, so, it's so, pretty you, so you attribute some of that success as having to fish through that obstacle. Absolutely. Ah. Absolutely. Yeah, you fish through it, and you know it happens through enough. You know how to maneuver around it, and you just gotta be smarter um, than the guy in front of you. And sometimes it means going to a smaller line diameter because you get more bites. And if we're flipping, it's kind of hard to flip and uh, fish behind a guy who's flipping is really good. So you have to go to a smaller diameter to. And your mind say, if I have a bait that falls a little bit slower than his, I'm going to trigger that, that strike because he's just going bop, 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 bop down the line. But if you have a bait that's a little, a little falls a little differently and you've got line instead of braid, all those little nuances make a big difference, man. It, it really it really makes a huge difference. So that's why I started doing, um, I'd flip, flip, flip. So if he flips into the hole, I'm right behind him. Mm -hmm. And I just always did those kind of actions. And I, I was starting to make people nervous behind the boat after a while. Well, you know, you mentioned... Um you mentioned practice, mm -hmm. and um, I learned at a really uh, young age about practice, and it's funny, it had nothing to do with fishing, it had to do with breakdancing. Mm. So we were into breakdancing, going to skating rinks and stuff in the 80s, mm -hmm. and um, there was this one dude that was just the master at, da at dancing, at breakdancing. He could do the head spins and the freaking windmills and all this different stuff, and we got friendly with this guy. And um, first time I ever heard it, and the first time it was ever broken down to me, um, he simply looked at us and shook his head. He said, guys, practice, practice, practice. Right. And I was like 13 years old. And um, <laughs> it was just so crazy, like, how that holds true. Yeah. 
and the discipline that it takes to practice like that and then the reward you can get if you put yourself through that it's it's uh it's, it's crazy um speaking of practice this is something that most people don't know about um me and my practices and one time i was um stuck on lake gunnerville for 30 days fishing for a tournament that was the next month 30 days straight straight whoa and my boat was running great great the whole time and i had borrowed a boat from a friend you know he, he hooked me up with his boat um and man I, I was fishing 30 days and it never felt like i was work i ran out of money one of my sponsors had to <laughs> send me some more money because i was running i ran out i didn't you know factor in 30 days but if i went home from south carolina which i had a really good finish and won some money, I would, it would cost me almost $3,000 to go and come back just to stay. You know what I mean? For the travel and everything, it cost me way more money. So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to stay. And um, I lost my job at the time, too, because, you know, fishing. Like, You're not coming back? No, no problem. But I had a good sponsor at the time, good ride sponsor. So long story short, man, uh, I fished for 30 days. Um, and then on that morning of takeoff, my boat was running perfect. I, I, went, to go take, I, I went to go take off and my engine blew. Oh, and, this, and this is the one that I needed. This is for the Force World Cup. I was about to qualify as a boater, I believe, at the, at the time. And my engine blew. So I looked at the tournament fish. I was like, I have spots over here. I mean, right within the vicinity where we were launching. I'm not going home, man. I'm not. So I was like, look, if I go home, I take another angler with me. So that means his hard work is gone as well. Right. So I was like, you know, this this has to – I'm staying. I said, I'm going to launch off my trolling motor. So all these guys with a big power engine, whoa, 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 they're launching by me. I'm like, this is my trolling motor going 100, just <laughs> dropping away. Took me an hour to get to my first spot. Right. I fished all day long on my trolling motor. And uh, I qualified through the championship to go to Louisiana and fish that year. Dude. Practice, man. Practice, 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 practice and practice, not practice. taking no for an answer, huh? No, allergic to giving up is my, my little motto. Allergic to giving up. I love that. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to make a shirt. I got a couple. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I got a, a couple. It's, it, it, it's, uh, it's uh, justified, put it that way. If yeah. you're going to make a shirt, that's a good one. For sure. Now, the cooking career, mm -hmm. how the hell do you um, become a celebrity chef? It's one of those terms saying that you're a professional fisherman. What does that really mean? This It's a very broad word, man, in my opinion. And personally, I don't, I don't even like to use the word celebrity chef. But after seeing a whole bunch of other people who don't have half the passion or half the gumption that I do, I just got tired of seeing this shit. I'm like, you know what? They're putting it on, they're putting it on their um, advertisement. They're saying they're, they just they cook for P. Diddy for one day. They're a celebrity chef and all these other people. I was like, but look at the food. Their passion level is like pulling shit out of a bag and just, here you go. That's what most of the celebrity chefs are doing. Okay. Um, so I got tired of that. And I come from a background where we make everything from scratch. I have a Four Seasons background. So that's like going to Harvard in the food world, working those kind of jobs. Okay. Right? So after, you know, I guess two years ago, I just started calling myself a celebrity chef, more or less. Some, maybe five years ago. Okay. Um, and I just, you know, it, it's one of those things where... You put your food and make it the celebrity, and that's how you can kind of get that title, right? Okay. It's not really about the people that you serve, but they happen to be people who will pay the money for your celebrity food, right? Okay. So that's where you kind of get that title, and um, we do get the request of people of attendance are going to be there in their big shots, and um, um, everyone. I've cooked for a lot of people. I don't even care to drop their names right now, but um, a lot of local people. And uh, a lot of celebs, and, you know, I get, keep getting requested. I've done a tremendous amount of work with the Boys and Girls Club every year, um, the channel crowd and tournaments, and help them raise money. So those kind of people were always coming after me to ask me to help. So um, and they know I'm going to bring something great to the table, something fresh, something uh, innovative, and something me. Okay. I always stay true to myself on that. I got gotcha. you. And the, um, 
the um, working your way up as to become an expert chef, mm -hmm. did the experience and the work ethic and the everything you had to do to compete in the bass tournaments did that help you? Yeah, it in did. your mindset and, and what in and you know what you were trying to accomplish. That that's um that's something that you know I know we're gonna talk about here in a little bit, but I I have to answer it because it's on the moment. Go ahead. Um, so um, all, it helped me in competition. Okay, one thing that happened in competition was you know you don't have very much time to figure things out. And like I said, we'll talk about this in a minute. We'll bring up Tyrone what it was, but I was in a, a a pickle, man, because I was uh, under the gun had to make something and I was just most people you lose their mind they get scattered once you lose your mental capacity to kind of think things through everything goes behind it so you can't do that simple cake you want to do you can't do it because it won't you won't it won't register properly right fishing has taught me how to be patient and relax and calm right that's that's kind of my mannerism a lot of times I'm a very passionate person you see me I'm acting up having fun but fishing was in that moment like just just wait for the bite wait for it to happen just let it happen so i was able to be patient enough to uh get through some very intense moments i mean i was about to pass out you know hearts beating and i was able to relax because fishing has propositioned me to be relaxed and not keep my head keep my head on straight well that's yeah yeah i could see that i mean a lot of uh, a lot of times um i think you know what helps me as a fisherman is a lot of the things that i learned in business a lot of the things that i learned um in a playing football for over 20 years mm -hmm. and like you said it's about your mind being able to process something when you have a challenge right when you have somebody throw a you know a, a, a stone in the water you know and totally screw you up you have to be able to respond and, and do it in a um, fast constructive way right yeah yeah no all right so let's 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 go on to that next thing that uh, that that uh, you did. You got on the hit show Chopped. Right. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, Chopped was, um, my, mind you, um, Minty, I practiced again because I, I applied for it twice and got denied the first time. How, how, how does that work? You, you can just kind of no. put your name in? and. Mm -mm. It, 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 it starts with a couple thousand people around the country. Okay. Um, and then more or less you have to reach out to them and put kind of why they ask you all these psychological questions. I think Chop is one of those those, those platforms that they have to ask someone crazy, someone kind of crazy, someone that's going to gravitate towards something bad. Or not. It's a psychological <laughs> breakdown. Well, it's TV. Yeah. I mean, they have to have all that drama set up, right? So it sells. And they pick you based on that thing. Okay. I don't know which one I was, man. I can't really tell you which one I was. You're not and, and sure I was in there. I was in there. I was in there. I was in there, exactly. So I just went in and I was myself. First time I applied for the show, I was kind of like, I need to be a, a, the perfect chef for this show that I don't know nothing about. So it's probably one of the only time I've altered my true self, man, to try to make something happen, which is what we call being fake. But I wasn't being fake. I was just kind of didn't know what to say to get on the show. I want to get on the show so bad. Right. So I'm thinking I'm saying the right things, and it really jacked me up towards the end because I got on the show, and they brought up this big camera. I'm a man of energy. Um, I feel people. I have a sixth sense for people. I can I can tell kind of who's kind of um, BS and who's kind of real. So having that said i have a small circle because of that so I, I i go i go into this room and there's like all these executives man and they're like you know talking to me and i'm doing good and cracking jokes and making fun of their nasty food they had sitting on the table and the woman brings me to the side so right, we're gonna start the interview process now and she says this is an energy stealer it's a giant camera and as soon as she said that said so it was a what energy stealer energy stealer yeah okay. 
She said, most people get freaked out. Oh, I know what right. you're saying. I got you. And I was good up until that moment. So after that moment, man, I just got real clammy. I started stuttering like I couldn't speak. And things just went so left. And I left out of feeling like, you idiot. It didn't work. It did not. I mean, I, I was I was kicking some good good knowledge of when they asked me questions. I was handling myself well. But it just I just fell apart. So long story short, um, they came back around to my job working at one of the restaurants downtown. And um, Las Olas, and they, they came back and said, you know, uh, we're looking for people to, to interview. And the girl walks up to me and says, Anthony, you would be good for this. She didn't know that I had already applied two couple years ago and got denied. <laughs> so I see it. I'm like, give me that damn paper. I'm calling this guy. So I called their headhunter, had a little mini interview with him, submitted my paperwork. And um, about two months later, I called and got the news I was going to be on the show. Wow. Yeah. So they interviewed a lot of people for it. And it was the first pastry chop ever. I do I do pastry and I cook, so I'm one of the few triple trained chefs in South Florida who does baking, pastry, and cooking. I've held jobs all three, and um, it is one of the first pastry chop ever, which is hard. Like trying to make a caramel in seven minutes. Come talk to me later about it. It, it was hard. Dude, my daughter's into those cooking shows. She was probably watching that when you were doing it, because she's so big into desserts and pastries and stuff. And she, she would say, "Oh, Dad, watch this," you know. And she was like really into that type of entertainment. You got to be a special person to do pastry and be consistent at it. That's why, that's why most pe- chefs only know how to do cooking because cooking is a lot easier than pastry. Uh-huh. So you, there's no science behind most of the cooking. There's a there's a basic broad science. Don't overcook stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't you can't reconstitute a, a steak that has all the blood cooked out of it. And is, you cannot do it. So pastry is is just amplified. You have to make sure the measurements are proper, temperatures are done properly, um, and that's every single time. There's no shortcuts. Right, so. right, right. That's when it really, sh- that's when it really shows. Yeah, you can't fudge it. You cannot at yeah. all. People, people will find out about it and be like, "Hey, man, this this tastes a lot different than last time." Well, I didn't put the eggs in it. Oh, that would be it. Now, did um, over the years, did you have experience in, in working in a lot of these, you know, big fancy restaurant types? Um, I started off in some good places. Um, I think when I was like 18 years old. I worked in a little place called the Flagship. It's a big old boat in in Seaford, Delaware. And ironically, I had a lake in front of it. That's the only reason I took the job. I wanted to fish the lake. <laughs> I sneak out there at lunchtime fishing. I worked under this big chef named Lou. I was still, in, yeah, I was just finished up school. I worked at KFC. Went back in the day to make money for for school. Uh, I worked at Friendly's. Um, so it, me personally, I followed my brother into the industry. Um, my dad was a um, in the army, and my uncle was in the army. They both worked, and and my uncle was a pastry chef. My dad was a chef in the army. Um, I guess they called it the mess hall, or whatever back then, right? It wasn't it right, was a mess kitchen? Hall. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So they both served, and they both, you know, um, retired, and they, 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 they. I didn't know I wanted to do it. I just knew I needed to do something, man, to pay for all this expensive ass cooking bills. I mean, uh, fishing equipment. I needed to be successful in the fishing industry. Everything I've done is all about making the way to fish. So that's the only reason I even started cooking. But huh. my brother, like I say, he was so good at it. At 13 years old, he's cooking four-course meals for the fam. So I followed him into the industry. Nice. So we went to California and did our thing out there for a while, studied. Um, and he, I just kept going. And he, he still cooks today, too. But I just kept going. And I started, you know, I had a job at the Four Seasons before I even graduated. Really? Yeah, I was bugging the chef. Everybody, hey, chef, I'm coming. I'm about to graduate. You got my job? Yes, Anthony, I have your job. It's a French chef I used to work for in the Four Seasons. And I had a job literally waiting for me when I graduated from culinary school. That's how ambitious I was about everything. So, um, and uh, I stayed on a man for six months until I, you know, I was finishing and walked into the Four Seasons as my first real job. 
So would you call that the corporate world of, of cooking? Four Seasons is more the elite world of cooking. The elite. Because okay. we had ostrich. We had the weirdest ingredients. Oh, yeah. I didn't and, think of that. Yeah. And, and the clientele was like everybody was a celebrity. Like we said no to our clients. Never. So that was their, that was their, their model. Never say no to their clients. Right. And we made everything happen for them. If we couldn't do it, we'd find some way to kind of substitute it out to make them happy. So I learned that whole sub customer service through them, and which I applied to my everyday clients now as well. Huh. Yeah. Did you, uh, over the years, were you able to cook for some celebrities that really meant something to you? Um, a lot. You know, I think, um, I'm trying to think, man, who, who I did the whole, I cooked for Jacques Pepin's son. Jack. Jack Pepin. Who's that? I mean, uh, Jack, uh, Jack, Jack Pepin, Jack Torres. Is that who, who? Who was the guy that used to dive in the water, the explorer guy back in the day? With the long hair. Yeah, I believe so. And got killed by the Jack Cousteau, maybe. Oh, Jack Cousteau. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, yeah. that's like the original dude. Yeah, that's the original guy. I cook for his son uh, at a private client's house. Um, I, I, I've cooked for um, a couple of the Miami Heat players. I've cooked for Diddy, um, Gloria Stefan. Lauren Hill, the Rolling Stones, um, the list goes on, man. I cook, working with those, you cook for everybody. And um, I think most impressive to answer the question, cause I kind of get off task here sometimes. Um, no, it's good. It gives people perspective. Yeah. yeah um, not really. I'm not really a starstruck person, man. I see people as people. Like, you put your pants on the same way I do. And um, I like what you do. We're, we, we click and vibe. But other than that, I don't really, I don't know. I, I think. So none of them really. Venus. Hit. Venus might have been the one that was kind of starstruck me. Oh, I bet. Yeah, because she was so tall, and I looked up. This, this, this is her, and I'm so busy chopping. I'm like shit, I ain't got time to worry about it. After I left the party, it's like um, Ray Allen and Venus both left the food. I'm like, cool. Nice, keep it going. Very. But cool. that makes me happy, you know. That you know, you, you can tackle not just them, but I can I can tap into all types of people, different walks of life, and really make them enjoy me, and they can taste my flavors. Because I believe that um, there can be love at first bite, man. I really do believe that. So people can love you from food. Well, you can definitely make people happy. Yeah. And it, if you can make people happy, you're doing something really, really good. All you have to do is look at somebody eating your food, and they're rocking and bopping in the seat, and they're smiling, looking at the food stand. They're happy. You touched their soul. That's what soul food is. It's not even about from the staff or wherever. It's about when you eat the food, and your soul feels a certain way, and your body can be happy, and you're just smiling all over. It's like a glow. And I've seen people do it, man. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And most people don't even realize it happens because it's just like one of those things like they're so into it. Did you make that up about soul food? No. Or is that normal? That's what, how they people. They, no, that's something I say. That's your own. That's mine. hundred percent. hundred percent. I didn't know if that was taught through culinary <laughs> no, school no, somewhere that they, I never heard of no, before. That's no. a great way to. But it's so true. Right. That's a great way to describe yeah, it. Yeah. I don't care what kind of food it is, man. If it hits you right, you're going to, your soul's going to react. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. The um I don't know. Like we get to uh we get to take a lot of celebrities out in the in the fishing guide business. And um a lot of the celebrities that you take out, you don't even really know who they are. Mm -hmm. You know, but you take them out, they want to they want to catch a fish and um you know, it's hard to get one that like really, you know, hits you hits your soul. Mm -hmm. But um one time uh Andy Mill called me up. Mm -hmm. First time I ever took him fishing. Mm -hmm. And to me, growing up here in South Florida, that was like, man, that was like God calling me up to take him on a fishing trip. And um, I think it was the first time that I ever had a celebrity on the on the boat or that I got to perform for. Mm -hmm. 
that I really cared about. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of why I asked you that question because they're far and few between. That's a big one. That's a big one. It really is. Um, and I, I, I feel the same way too. It's like you don't get that many that you can go in between. Right. Now, um, today, as far as your bass fishing in your uh, cooking career, where are you? Um, I'm in a place where a lot of people are, right, man? Um, <laughs> I'm at a place of uh, let's redirect ourselves a little bit. 25 years of cooking and what have you, and let's redirect. Um, it, it, it's been very obvious that my cooking career would never be where I would thought it was going to go because of what's happened. Um, COVID has definitely put a uh, monkey wrench in every person's life in the world for that matter. But I think a lot of people are saying, oh, cooking won't be what it is. And I agree to a lot of degrees. So what I'm doing in my mind, how can I conform to COVID instead of trying to beat it and, and trying to say that I, I can, I'm going to be back relevant um, with the cooking world again? You have to do a lot of things to be relevant now moving forward, which is being safe, first of all. Uh, making sure your staff is educated enough and sanitation levels have to be at all-time high. And if you have to look at it, what this whole thing is to me in the COVID world anyway, it's just God's way of talking to us as a, as a people and saying we need to do things better. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but as far as the chef thing goes, I've decided that I'm not going to um, work for anyone else. And I really can't afford to make that decision right now because I don't have any, nothing consistent. I have clients that come in, which are now starting to come back down to Florida mm -hmm. a little bit, which is, you know, at a big house somewhere. So without that, I think I'd be kind of dead on water like a lot of people and probably had to change careers. But um, every time I kind of get in a, a mode of, you know, even questioning or even worrying a little bit, I don't because he always provides me. He always comes through at the right time and says, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and I had some clients come in recently and I was just like, all right. Just need to stay on that path. Well, now I'm starting my little um, business. So I'm gonna be doing some cooking. I'm starting off small. I'm gonna be at a gas station with a two double side grill, right. and I'm gonna be cooking out some of the best food you're ever gonna have from a, a gas station and move forward. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume now I'm no cooking industry expert, but I'm gonna assume the cooking industry has been under the same assault that boat builders oh. and hardware stores, <clears throat> tackle and manufacturers, tackle shops, yes, and it just seems like there's harder and harder to compete in the market with quality instead of quantity. Mm -hmm. Everything is about, um, you know, fast food style, uh, franchise style, volume, volume style. Yeah. yeah. And the guy that um, is really concerned, like you said, has soul into his food. Mm -hmm has been left on the back burner because it's definitely happened in all the other industries and that's where the smaller tackle guys fall into place man you know these bigger guys may be able to weather the storm a little bit better because they've had the revenue built up for years or what have you um and yeah it, it, it's scary because uh it to me what i see happening is there's no more icast those kind of places platform where they go to make the money every year and they get most of their revenue on those bigger shows because they sell 20 million or whatever it is at the time they sell those the bass boat, the industry, um, if there's anything like the car industry, they're trying to give away boats because the worst thing they want to do is be a year behind on models, right? Sure. Then they, they got to take the bigger hit. And they can't eat the they, floor plans. They can't. They can't. Right. So I'm seeing that. And, and the guy that understands and figures out volume in the cooking industry and has a price point that's compatible to people's pocket now because everyone's kind of broke more or less right. is, is going to be the, the company that figures out how to withstand this whole COVID thing. And the good thing about the COVID that we, we were all essential. We all fishing. We, we all kind of kept fishing. And more and more people than ever have started fishing because of that one reason. Right. And they kind of get the gist of why we fish in the first place. So um, it's not going to be something that happened overnight, but it's going to be thriving um, back to 
not a normal operational um, level, but some sustainable, I think. Okay. Now, now, just so the audience understands clearly, um, the way I see um, you moving forward in the <coughs> cooking world would be similar to how a tarpon guide or a bonefish guide would work. Right. You have a clientele list. Mm -hmm. You cater to them. You make them happy. And... They basically pay your bills for you. They pay your bills. You get the, the other referrals. And all they have to do is love your work. Like, they have to love you or your service. Like, Captain Jeff can't be out there throwing people in the water because they missed the fish. That kind of thing. You have to kind of be understanding and, and be like a father, mother, whoever, nurturing on the, at the same time and get people to, to say, dang, we caught 150 tarpon. But Captain Jeff was awesome. Like, that's a big that's a big day. But yet, we still enjoy Captain Jeff just as much. So, whether you're a guide or a chef, you have to bring people into yourself. Like, they have to know you. You have to sell yourself at, a, at that point in time and make them really happy through you. And only you can do that. So that's why they'll be residual customers. But um, I, we, in both industries, hospitality-wise, you have to be very hospitable. So we're in the same industry as far as I'm concerned, a lot of different aspects. Um, but we're catering to a, a clientele every time, man. And it's hard because... They they're not traveling, so that affects you. That affects me, and um, it, it, the industries they're, they're very similar. Did um, did you did you kind of get this business plan idea from the fishing industry because you were part of the fishing industry, or was it something that just through X's and O's and common sense it was like this is the way I gotta go? Because it seems to me like. If you have talent and you can cook and you can freaking cater to a clientele mm -hmm. and you can deliver those type of services, you don't need a whole restaurant. You don't. You don't need um, coupons. You don't need. Mm -mm. All you need to do is make people happy. And to shut your head, shut your mouth, focus on the food, make sure the food is going out and making people happy. The word of mouth is still the best form of marketing ever. I don't care what kind of social media buttons you can hit. It's still the best form of marketing because everyone don't have and operate from a computer store even in you know just you know 2020 so um yeah it's just it came to me because like i said i got tired of making other people money to be honest with you okay i made a lot of people money and look at my pocket I'm like hey man my pocket looks a little different than theirs and you know i put recipes in this place and they have my personal recipes i would get you know um, newspaper article write-ups and i would see the restaurant and sometimes my name would get missed i'm like but i created that recipe i've created so many recipes and i got tired of it Sure. I'm like, well, what if I just take the same attitude, man, and the same 12 hours a day and apply it to my own self? Who's going to win? My family. Sure. So that's kind of where I said, you know, to myself, I was like, you know, I've been sustaining so hard with the COVID being in place. And I was like, man, it doesn't make sense to go back and work for anyone else when I know how to cook almost everything. I've messed up almost everything. So I've practiced how to cook almost everything. I'll make you a perfect hot dog from scratch and give you some molecular food down the line whatever you want i try to cater to that person and make them happy um and i know i'm doing good because i can look at the scratch marks in the plates and that tells me that's my justification i'm doing something right but um starting business for myself i've been wanting to do it for 20 years i just wasn't ready mentally right. didn't know how didn't know much about business i still don't know a great deal about it but i've educated myself enough to know that um i need to be able to portion things properly and um, I need to be able to make sure there's no waste like I've always done every other restaurant. Like I said, I made a lot of restaurants money based on those little kind of key things alone. Um, being consistent, trying to, you know, those things make you money. It's not about how much you can kick out. It's on the backside, how much not going in a trash can, people stealing, those kind of things. So that, that, that being said, you know, I'm like, I can do this for myself.
gotcha. Well, I really wish you a lot of luck um, in the cooking upcoming and the new strategy. And um, if you. there's anything that we can do in the Real Guy Network to help you, you always make sure you, you ask. But before I let you go, I want you to talk to me about your family. Okay. Yeah. Because you told me yeah. that that's where you really, that's where your pride and soul really is. Talk to me about your family and um, how's cooking and fishing? How are you able to uh, pass that along and make it, I don't know, relevant to life with the fam? It's one of those things where, well, my oldest son, I have uh, 18, 14, 9, and 5. 18, 14, 9, and 5. Right. Pretty good ages. Big spread. Yeah. Good ages. Um, and, and my oldest son, I kind of try to ruin him, man. I mean, he had the first first wave of my fishing passion. I wanted him to be like a little Tiger Woods. I ain't going to lie. I was like, man, you got to rig that bait. And really? He was like three and a half. I remember like it was yesterday. <laughs> I ruined this cat. <laughs> I love you, Andres. And um, he, he, he was fishing. It was hot outside. And we were just on the bank fishing. And he was like... Um, Catching a lot of fish, and I noticed the clouds kind of came in, a little front came in, and fish stopped biting. Barometric pressure, blame it on barometric. And then he looks at me and says, Dad, you know, I want to go home now. I'm ready to go home. And he was getting into it, casting, bait casters, and everything. And I was having such a good time. I looked at him, I looked at him and said, Sit down and shut up. We're fishing. So the fish stopped biting, or waiting for him to start biting again, more or less. <laughs> he started crying, man. He just sat there and just like, You know, Daddy. I don't want to go fishing no more. He has not been back since. Wow. <laughs> that was a long time ago. But um, that's my oldest son. But, um, you know, to answer the question, it, it's, it's not an easy act. It's just something that has to be taken very considerate as far as um, your time. Right. Your time is, 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 is so spread thin. And um, you just have to, you know, me personally, I didn't have a father to show me how to fish. So I say to myself, what can I do to be that father I never had? And you have to kind of, even sometimes learn from other people. Sure. Their models work. See how they do things. I have friends that are really good fathers, too, around me. So that's really important. It is big. It, it, it's, I have some great friends. Um, Curtis, Bruce, my boys, um, they're good fathers, too. So, you know, we, we ground each other. And then at the same time, it's like you just have to take the fishing and, and make it fun, man. Just take them out and don't force them. I learned, I learned the hard way from my first son. Don't force them. Um, I do have a fourteen-year-old who's who's won some tournaments, two tournament kid tournaments, and he's like he, he he's the beast. He loves it. So he's I, the one that kind of fell into the fishing. He fell mode. into it. I never pushed. I never pushed him. Yeah. He, he was begging me to fish, and I, and I just took him a couple of times. And I can tell all you fathers right now, man, if you want to take your kids fishing, you have to really understand that. It, it, you want to actually get them on the catching side first. Take them out and let them catch fifty bluegills until they can't can't catch no more. Right. Then you move them up. It's, it's, it's levels to it. Sure, sure. So if you work them up gradually, instead of trying to throw them into a baitcaster, they're gonna love going with you. Uh -huh. You cannot yell at them. They're gonna they're gonna hook you in the dreadlocks. Like I have long dreadlocks, so they're, they're gonna hook you. They're gonna do things, but <laughs> you gotta be patient with them and just show them fishing is so fun and show them why it's fun. Um, but yeah, it, it, and then now my son Milo, he's just now catching on to it. He goes out, he's bluegill fishing. He, and he's my, a nine year old. Nine year old. Okay. Yeah, he sent me a picture of the other day, man. He's in the backyard fishing. And I mean, he's catching bluegill. He loves to catch bluegill. Well, I let him catch bluegill. I show him how to make dough balls from scratch and everything the whole nine. Like I was taught. Or you take a big loaf of bread and you mound it up until, you know, you get fishing. So he catches this four and a half pound bass off of bluegill he was reeling in. And his facial expression said everything. He was lit up like a Christmas tree, man. And sure, so sure. had we never went bluegill fishing, he wouldn't have been so excited about catching the fish on his own. I wasn't even there at the time. So, um, you know, it, 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 you know, you, you, you go through fishing and I'm, I'm you know, fishing um, 
all over the country and everything else. But your kids, man, when you have to think about them being fishing, just just make it always a, a fun thing, family thing, and um, they'll, they'll love it. But um, nothing gets old with seeing kids catch fish. Yeah, right, right. Uh, I think um, even more importantly than the actual fishing part, I think if you lead by example and show your family and your kids, you know, that there's things in the world to be passionate about. Sure. Whether it's cooking, whether it's fishing, whether mm-hmm. in the bicycling, whatever they might be into. Right. If they see you passionate about something. Exactly. Then they can kind of gauge where they are and where they want to go. Right. Without seeing that, I think there's a lack of inspiration or it's just harder. It's harder. Harder, it, you yes. know, to, to, to connect the dots. I, I, I agree with that because now you, you got to figure, and I go with my friends and we go together with my son to say, Marley, they're going to be nice to him and tell him things and you don't have to worry about being a And Whatever it is, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm a little tough on my, my, my kids, not even with fishing. Like they can't say the word can't or I give up or dad, you know, none of those words, they're, they're considered bad words to me because it enables them to be Strong mind, independent. Uh-huh. You can't say those words around me. It's like cussing. Right. I'll whip your ass. Right. You know, um, and I'm old school. I'm old school to a degree. You can't body slam your kids anymore like you used to back in the day. <laughs> but <laughs> I will put the hammer on my kids. And so uh, your 19 year old sees things a lot different than. Oh. Me. <laughs> my daughter can make me melt, but I'll still spank her little ass too. She, I don't care. She's a beautiful little queen, man. But I will jump on her so quick. And she knows it. Like, but my 19-year-old, you're right. He, he sees things from a different perspective. And he models after me a lot in his mannerism. And he's just like a real strong, silent, like young little king. That's what he is, you know. He's, right. he's, he's on it. He's right. doing great. Well, Anthony, I would appreciate you coming by and being on the Real Guy podcast. Appreciate you having me. After talking about the different topics, I can see how you lit up when you were talked about your family, and now I, I, I get exactly why you told me that in the first place. Exactly. And um, I'm sure the guys in the Real Guy Network are going to appreciate um, you coming on as a guest, so we really appreciate it. And um, going forward, if somebody wants to get a hold of Anthony, mm-hmm. whether you want a great meal if you got a question for him or anything, um, of course, you can reach out to me at jeff at lunkerdog.com. Um, Anthony, can tell me how they can, they can find you if, if they want to? Sure. Appreciate it. Um, you can catch me my email address. I'll give it out. It's not a problem at all. It's uh, chefanthony94 at gmail. Okay. And then um, any of my handles, if you put in 50Z94, which is my tournament fishing name, it comes up a little bit. You can find me on any of the social media handles, uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, and um, that's you know yeah you can you can Google and Chef Anthony Hunt I pop up pretty good but anybody has any questions I really appreciate you guys on the show right now and um, I'd be more than happy to give you some secret tips um, how to eat better what well, any of those little things you want to ask I'm I'm always open I never turn anybody away I always make time so um, feel free to reach out well that's how I got to be friends with Anthony he's real social he's just a great guy and the more you learn Thank about you. him the more you like him thanks for being on the Real Guy podcast and run that dog run that dog baby.